This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 189. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I have my trusty compadre, Jacob Paulson. Hola. He said compadres, I felt inclined like I had to respond in Spanish. <laughs> Here's the funny thing, folks. This is our fourth take at the intro of today's episode for whatever reason. Like we've never, I don't think, had to take four takes at an intro of an episode. There was a tech issue. There was some other issue. There was Riley having brain farts issues and all sorts of things. <laughs> and every time we did it, it was different, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of over it. I don't think we have any more creativity in us. <laughs> so we better make it work. All right. So welcome to this episode of the podcast where this is our usual early week news episode with all kinds of industry and firearms concealed carry related news. We've got some great stories lined up, including a major new pistol product from a major manufacturer just announced uh, yesterday, actually just hit the uh, interwebs yesterday. So many of you may have already heard about it by now, but Many of you probably have not, so it'll be really fun to talk about it. Uh, so that'll, I'm looking forward to getting into that. Then we've got a story with uh, an, an operation that the G, the Government Accountability Office did. And, and they were specifically looking into online firearm sales and the so-called loophole that may exist where people are able to just buy whatever guns they want online illegally. And the findings of that study or investigation were very interesting and perhaps not what the sponsors of that study were hoping to find. I look forward to that story as well with you guys today, plus all kinds of great justified news stories from the last week or two. Uh, we've, we've had a couple of them piling up here for a while as uh, we've had the holidays and things behind us. And so we're now through all the holidays. We hope everyone had a great time before we get too too much further along, I would hope, by the way, that you would share this podcast with your friends and family, whether that's through Facebook or just telling them about it. We hope that you'd take an, take an opportunity in a moment and share the podcast. Uh, we definitely are always trying to get it, it into the hands of or in the ears of more and more listeners. We do appreciate your support in that. And uh, of course, you're always welcome to contact us at podcast at concealedcarry.com with any questions, topics, suggestions, whatever you'd like to. Jacob and I both see those emails personally and respond to them and or answer them on the air. Today's episode is brought to you by GuardianNation.com. If you're not already a member of the nation, I would invite you to consider joining. Go to GuardianNation.com, see all of the great benefits that come to those that are members of Guardian Nation. I think I really think it's a no-brainer. The membership itself pays for itself. I mean, above and beyond the actual cost of the membership, it, you you see that money come back to you in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't know if I could say twofold or threefold or tenfold, but it comes back. Jacob, anything you'd like to add about about Guardian Nation? Well, um, no. <laughs> wow, Great. you are an awesome salesman for considering you make your living as a as an online salesman. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, uh, Guardian, Guardian Nation, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of times we hype up the box a lot because it's kind of the, the financial logical thing, right? Like, hey, join Guardian Nation and once a quarter we'll send you a box of gear that's valued at least at the value of, you know, of, of a person's membership. But the reality is, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, we know that you're getting plenty of learning in, right? I mean, on a regular basis, probably once or twice a week, you listen to this podcast. And so you're learning new stuff all the time. But are you actually getting the the training that you need to be a better shooter? And so our core purpose with Guardian Nation is to give people the knowledge, not necessarily just the gear. So the gear is a nice benefit, but we hope that uh, for those of you who are members, that you're taking advantage of the training videos and that that content, that part of the membership. And for those of you who are not, know that that's the most important. Plus, members also get access to a number of eBooks in the library as well. Isn't that right? That is true. Yeah, so there, it's not just the videos, but there's also ebooks. There's all kinds of opportunities to learn, to develop your skills, uh, to gain knowledge, and make yourself a better and uh, more prepared citizen. So definitely go check out Guardian Nation today at guardiannation.com. G U A R D I A N N A T I O N dot <laughs> com. Maybe we should have somebody make us a jingle for that, Jacob. G U A R D I A N. Okay, all right. <laughs> let's not have a jingle. <laughs> All right. So let's get on to our training tip. This week is practicing your jacket sweep with the cooler weather that is upon us. And for some of you, particularly those of you back east, it has been really cold recently. So chances are, if you're carrying concealed, you are carrying with some sort of covering garment. Are you practicing how to sweep that garment out of the way? Hmm. So that's the training tip this week. I would encourage each of you listening to spend 15 minutes a night. It doesn't even have to be that much. 10 minutes a night, maybe five minutes a night. If that's all you can afford, or maybe it's in the morning, get up a little bit early, take, spend five, 10 minutes in practice, getting your covering garments out of the way so you can access your gun quickly and efficiently. And I'll tell you, this becomes really challenging when you're wearing those really heavy winter coats. Uh, there are a lot thicker and, and there's a lot more there you got to get a hold of and, and get it clear out of the way of the holster and the gun. Anything you do in, in particular with a garment or jacket sweep, Jacob? Yeah, try all your different jackets. Um, I, I think that, you know, if you're a person who has the light jacket and the heavy coat and the jacket you wear when you're riding your bike, I, I don't know, if you have a bunch of different jackets, you know, if you train in the same one all the time, there's just little nuances about different coats and different jackets. I, I just suggest you train with all of them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good good idea. I, j- I just think from the standpoint of being instructors, Jacob, that uh, uh, let's just talk about it real quick. And I mean, ideally, the way I sweep garments or jackets or shirts or whatever out of the way is as much as possible. I use my off hand, my support hand to to do the work of that sweep. Uh, because typically when I draw anyway, I'm bringing my support hand to the high center chest so that it is out of the way. I'm not muzzling my hand. I'm not running that risk as I'm bringing the gun out of the holster and orienting it down towards the, or, you know, forward towards the target. And so with a shirt, it's pretty simple because I'm usually just trying to get a shirt straight up out of the way. I might have to reach a little bit further across the chest. If I've got a a gun that's being carried on the hip three or four or five o'clock appendix carry is pretty straightforward. But, um, 
if you got a jacket, sometimes what you have to do is almost like a two-step sweeping motion. And sometimes I've even carried, and I, I know I'm, I know I am not alone in this, where you might have a shirt covering a firearm that is underneath a jacket. And so you might have to go with this two-stage routine where your shooting hand might be the one that initiates getting the coat or jacket swept to the rear. And then your support hand is getting the shirt cleared up out of the way. And then as soon as that's happening, and this is all happening almost simultaneously, right? Like you can't get it out of order, but it's got to happen very quickly and efficiently, which is why you want to practice. But sweep, shirt up, hand on gun, draw, and, and you get it out. And with practice, you can get it to where it's very fast. Yeah, I'm trying to. I was trying to listen to your kind of the way you explain it and decide if that's how I teach it or how I do it. Um, what I what I do is I naturally in the course of my draw and know that I normally carry about four o'clock, right? So naturally in the course of my draw, um, my 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 gun hand, my strong hand, is going to have to kind of come around the rear just to get to the gun anyway. So what I do is I immediately bring that gun hand in this in that case in my case my right hand down to my front center of body, like my sternum, I, I extend my thumb and I ride my thumb across my chest and all the way around the back. Now, if I have an outer garment like a jacket on, then I should be hooking that jacket and taking it all the way to the rear. And it's now out of the way. Then my support hand can come in, pull the shirt, and I can go for the gun. And, and I like doing it that way because my thumb is already extended and my thumb is the is the first part of my draw stroke, right? My thumb is going to drive down between the gun and the body and and start to establish the grip as my other fingers come around the, the grip of the gun. Mm. Um, now, I've seen other people teach it differently. You know, I know that like, like Kyle Lamb, he, he has his like knife edge thing where he sticks his fingers in his sternum and kind of swings the, the, the fingers around. But I like using my thumb because it kind of preps my draw better for me. Uh, and, and it allows you know both hands to kind of work in, in concert. And I draw like that. Even if I'm not wearing an outer garment, even if I'm just in a shirt, I still draw like that. I still have my strong hand come down. My thumb hits my sternum, rides around to the back. A- at the same moment, my support hand's coming over to grab the shirt and pull it up. And I, I do those two things pretty fluidly. And it's always the same regardless if there's an outer garment on or not. And by outer garment, I guess I'm talking about like a jacket or a coat. I always do it the same way so that I don't have to think about, oh, I have a coat on, so I have to do this extra step. That's an interesting uh, suggestion that you have there, I think, because you're saying you always do this the same way. So even if – I'm just going to ask you um, because I'm curious. If if your dominant hand – is resting at your side. So basically it's, it's already really close to the gun, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you would still, as part of your draw stroke, bring that up to almost like the center of your chest, sweep back now to the back to the gun and then draw. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, I do that. I've, I've watched a video of myself and that's exactly what I do. I I recognize totally. And and you're allowed to tell me it's stupid. I totally will accept the criticism um, that that might mean my draw stroke is slower, right? Because there's wasted, uh, time in moving the hand from the side of my body up to the front and then going back to the rear again. And that that's that's true. I'd have to accept that reality that that, yeah, I, I guess that's true. I, there is wasted time there if I don't have a jacket or coat on, but the muscle memory is the same every time. And so I'll, I'll take it. So that's why I always beat you in our shoot-offs. <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll take that excuse. <laughs> No, it's 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 an interesting thing because on one hand I'm thinking about it and I'm like, well, that's consistency at its finest where you're using that exact same stroke whether you have to clear the garment or not. And so it's the same over and over and over again. 
And so that consistency is really, that's, that's a good idea. At the same time, I'm also thinking if my hand is already two inches away from my gun, I think that's a silly thing. <laughs> so like I, I see like both sides. I, I do think that if I, if I had my hands kind of up in front of me or, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm fighting off a threat or something like that, that is that as my shooting hand comes back to the body to go to the gun, that I'm likely to go, you know, I've practiced this. I'm going to go to the center of the chest. Uh, just like Kyle, I use my forefingers. I, I like that kind of hook or Kyle, like you said, Kyle Lamb talks about a knife's edge. He's basically just hooking. He's making sure he digs his fingers straight into the body so he doesn't run the risk of missing hooking the garment. And I've done that many times. And so this is still something that has to be practiced repeatedly and you just got to get it just right. But I'm of the opinion that using just my thumb, I don't think I'm quite as reliable for getting that garment. Either way, I'm coming back, I'm getting the, the jacket, sweeping it back, and then I'm driving down to the gun. If I had my hand down at the side of the jacket by the gun, I have practiced also hooking that the bottom of the jacket with my shooting hand, mm-hmm. getting it up high out of the way, and then driving right down. You can, yep. you can do that without the coat or jacket getting in the way, typically. Where no, you, you just as long as you jacket like it's a shirt. Yeah, as long as you get it up high and out of the way, and then you just drop the hand straight down, you're usually able to retain the, the coat or jacket up kind of in the armpit, and then you drive down to the gun and draw. So, you know, to, to each their own, and I think there's something to be said for consistency and doing it the same way every time, even if it means you're a little bit slower, but you're at least you're consistent, and you do it the same, and you do it reliably, or going for what's natural and efficient for me, what's natural is if the hand's already there, I'm going straight to the gun. Um, do whatever works best for you listeners and practice it. So spend five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, do that every night this week and get that routine well-practiced. And I think you'll be well benefited because of it. So spent some time on that one, but that's, that's a good topic. Yeah. That was good. Today's episode, yeah, today's episode, by the way, is also brought to you by Live Fire Drill Cards. We haven't mentioned them as a sponsor in a while. And also by Pig Lube, my favorite lubricant for firearms. I know you like it too, Jacob. Yeah, I'm a fan. And I also like their new uh, uh, range kit, cleaning kit. Yes. So, and, and that range kit comes with uh, Pig Lube and solvent. So if you haven't yet purchased Pig Lube, you might try buying the range kit. Yep, I've got one sitting right there. It's great. It's a nice little kit. Anyone familiar with Otis? And Otis is a great company too. And we've had some dealings with Otis. They were in our last box. Um, but but that range that range cleaning kit from Big Lube reminds me of some of Otis's little you know compact kits. Compact, super you know convenient. Has everything you basically need in it. Um, but it's in a very nice travel friendly you know uh, size. So. Good stuff. Uh, do we do appreciate your support of our sponsors as it makes this podcast and everything we do here possible? I do want to throw one other thing out, and that is we are not recording this today live on Facebook. Um, you know, we we're, we're evaluating how we're doing all of that. We know many of you longtime listeners uh, maybe will never check us out on Facebook doing it live. Uh, just letting you know that we're, we're trying to figure that all out and make it work so that it works really well for those viewing and participating that way, but also for all of you, our listeners. We'll look forward to seeing you regardless of how you interact or listen to or consume this podcast. We look forward to seeing you again soon. 
So with that, let's get to our first news story. And this is the big, I guess, elephant in the room. As I said, there's a major new uh, product announcement from a major uh, fire manufacturer. And that is a story here as reported on our site, concealedcarry.com. A new gun from Sig Sauer, the P365. And this was just announced yesterday. And unlike a lot of the other gun announcements we've heard recently, this one's actually cool, unique, and exciting. It is, I think, especially from Sig. You know, I've had an I've had twenty four hour period now to think about this, Jacob. And the more I think about it, and the more I look at it, this gun is kind of similar in a way. It's almost like Sig Sauer's version of a Glock twenty six, albeit it's a little bit thinner, and I think a little bit more conceal friendly than a Glock 26. But but if you look at the size of it, the form factor, it's kind of like a Glock 26. That's essentially what our Glock 43s are, is is about the size of a Glock 26 in profile, but the, the thickness is a lot thinner, right? And so this is kind of like that, but it's it's somewhere in between, if that makes sense. So what we have basically from in the P365 is it's actually dimensionally smaller than the Glock 43 in every way, except for well, it actually is kind of thinner than than the uh, Glock 43. Now, the Glock 43 is interesting, right? Because the slide and the grip itself is about 0.9 inches. But it technically measures a little bit over an inch because they had to make this little bulge where the uh, trigger bar and the slide stop are located, right? Mm-hmm. Now, imagine the thickness of where the where that little bulge is in the Glock 43. And that's basically the width of the SIG P365. So that's basically what you get. So you're getting a gun that's about the same thickness of a Glock 43, but it's actually a little bit shorter, a little bit less tall, a little bit less, um, uh, yeah, shorter in, in, in length and in height. And the weight's also about the same. So anyway, I, I digress a little bit, but I'm just, I'm kind of enthused about the form factor because of the big thing that this gun comes with. And that is that it is not a single stack. Yeah. It's a double stack gun. So in, you know, a Glock 43, for example, you were comparing to Glock 43 and we could talk about the MMP shield would be another kind of comparable uh, gun to throw right. in this mix. These are single, those are single stack guns. Uh, you know, the, in the Glock 43, it, it traditionally would be six plus one. You can modify that mag for seven plus one. That's the best you can do. Um, that's not a lot. This new SIG P365, because you're supposed to carry it 365 days a year, that's kind of their thing, is <laughs> 10 plus one. And you can buy 12 round magazines. Obviously, they're a little bit longer. They don't come with the gun. They're a little bit overpriced in my opinion. But you can get 12 round mags. So that'd be 12 plus one. There's a big difference in carrying, you know, 10 plus one versus six plus one. That's that's a significant increase. You talk about percentage, you know, wise. I mean that that's a big deal. I, I'm no I'm no mathematician. That's probably like 30, 30 or 40 percent more ammo in the gun uh, because it's a double stack than a single stack. Here's the other thing that I'll say, and, and this is going to come down to each individual, but for me personally, I know I do not shoot the Glock 43 as well as I do double stack guns because of the smaller, thinner grip profile. I can't grip the gun as well. My hands are essentially too big for that gun. Uh, not to say I can't shoot it, just to say that I don't shoot it as well as I do guns that are a little bit bigger. So I'm really interested in getting this P365 in my hands uh, when we go down to Vegas to a uh, shot show to really get a sense for how it fills my hand and, and what that profile is for me. Yeah. Here, here's one other thing I found really interesting. 
so often, Jacob, when you hear people talk about SIG, especially when they're comparing it against Glock and Smith & Wesson, like the Shield, you know, they're, they're two major competitors. Uh, so often you hear comments Three. like, yeah, so often you hear comparisons between SIG and the and their competitors is, you know, SIG is a mile above the hand. Like they, they for, you know, the, the signature trait of, of SIG Sauer guns for a long time is that they tend to have a little bit taller slide. The, the bore axis is higher above the hand. And, but the interesting thing is I saw over on soldiersystems.net, there was an overlay. They had the outlines of the, of the Glock 43, Smith & Wesson Shield, the LC9 from Ruger, which is another competitor in this segment, and the new SIG P365, all overlaid. And the P365 almost has a lower bore axis than, than these other guns. I was shocked by that. Uh, so this this is kind of cool to see. You've got a gun that's very competitive in size, weight, uh, capability, except that it wins absolutely in the capacity uh, part of the equation. And it also wins in that it should be a, a pretty controllable, uh, sh- very shootable gun. It looks like it has a good grip on it, something that you can really grasp, you know, get a hold of. Um, it's got more capacity. They say it's got a great trigger on it. So this could be a, a, a very competitive entry into the market, uh, starting to take some some major sales away from these other major manufacturers. Well, I'll add to that that I think price is something that they nailed right here because I think a lot of other people going to the store and thinking about these competitors that we've mentioned, these other companies, they're often more affordable than a six-hour gun. Um, and so th- this one, MSRP says five ninety nine. Of course, it'll probably be a little cheaper when it hits retail. But I think that's another thing they've done right here is they've priced a gun that's probably a little bit you know, closer to the competition versus some of the other guns they make, which I think are a little more on the high end uh, as far as price goes. Let's let's talk a little bit about the rail because I have a shield. Mm-hmm. I have a Glock 43. Um, you have two or three Ruger LC you know, pistols. I've got I two of them, yeah. And you have two of them. I mean, not, none of those guns have rails. Uh, now, this, this P365 has a rail, um, though I, I know you've done some research on this because it's a custom rail. Well, yeah, it's it's what they were referring to as their slimline rail. So basically, you know, one of the challenges with these very small guns, the reason we don't see a lot of times accessory rails on these Glock 43s and, and shields and things is because of the very slim nature of the of the frame. And so they're you know, it's a little bit too narrow to really put a proper Picatinny rail or or whatever on uh, the underneath side of the of the barrel of the gun. And so SIG has elected to basically put a, a proprietary slimline accessory rail that they say they are also developing and should be available very soon, a uh, SIG Sauer branded um, a weapon-mounted light. And soon following thereafter will also be a laser. I, I'm going to guess they're going to have a light and laser combo as well. And so there will obviously be some accessories that, you know, and some people will be like, well, hey, it's proprietary and you have to buy the SIG products, but I, I strongly suspect that you'll see companies like uh, Streamlight and um, uh, LaserLight, Viridian, yeah. you know, yeah, uh, yeah, Surefire, all the big players will, I would imagine, will create accessories as well. And guess what? It'll be a lot easier and cheaper for those guys in product development to build something that just needs to clamp onto a rail as opposed to build something that has to, you know, clamp around a, an oddly shaped trigger guard, which is never as secure as, you know, clip clamping to a rail. So it'll be a lot easier for these aftermarket 
companies and products to de- to uh, develop uh, accessories for that slimline rail for, from Sig Sauer. Yeah, any accessory rail beats no accessory rail. Yeah, absolutely. So this I, it, this could very well be a a, a Glock forty three shield LC nine killer in the market. I don't know that it'll outright kill everything else, uh, but it will definitely be a, a very strong entry to the market provided there's not some major oversight or misstep. And, and from what we can see, and by the way, they've made it clear that this, this has been drop tested. Um, I read somewhere that they, they did thousands and thousands of drop tests, including on that infamous negative 30 degree drop that was uh, the uh, kryptonite of the SIG P320. And so they have absolutely made sure that this is 100% drop safe, even above and well beyond the typical industry standards that are used for drop testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, if you go to the link in the show notes, at the bottom of that article is a nice little video that's kind of the official video from Sig Sauer on the P365. It's from uh, Phil. He's He's really smart, really nice, good guy. Have, we haven't had him on the podcast, have we? Um, sorry, who again? Phil from SIG. Oh, sorry. I, I, I missed that for some reason. I don't know if you cut out on my side. Phil, no, we have not had him. I've invited him on and we just haven't, I don't think, aligned yeah, our schedules that. to make it work. But anyway, I hope to yeah. connect with him at SHOT Show, yeah, by well, the way. Yeah, maybe we'll have him on during SHOT. So, so guys, go watch that video. I think it really kind of open your eyes a little bit. Very exciting. And, uh, you know, you might want to talk to your dealer because when this hits shelves, they're going to go quickly and it might be a while before you can get them. Yeah. I'm really hopeful I can get my hands on one because I think I'm already sold. Uh, we'll definitely know for sure here in a little less, actually two weeks from yesterday will be, or two weeks from t- Sunday, excuse me. It's already a Tuesday of the week. Uh, we'll be at Sig Sauer's premier media day event uh, where we'll be able to see it. I'm sure firsthand and, and put some rounds down range and give you our report. We'll, we'll definitely follow up with you on that. By the way, a comment about the pricing. Um, yeah, there have been some comments that it is a little bit more expensive than like your Glock 43 your your shields for sure. I think the MSRP on a Glock 43 is about $500. I think there's a few variations that are about 519 somewhere in that ballpark. So it is a little bit more than that. Street price will obviously be less than the 599 that's proposed. Um, but uh, it's still, I think, I think it's a, a, a competitive price. I think so, the gap is much is much tighter than it would be on other SIG versus you know competitors. Sure. Yeah, if you I look at like a, a P320 versus a Glock 17 or so, you know, and so so I think SIG is coming. You know, they're just that that one is a lot priced to be more competitive than a lot of the other things they put on the market. Yep, yep. Good stuff. Well, exciting news from SIG Sauer. That's a really cool and exciting product. I mean, a gun that is as basically as concealable as your Glock 43 and shields which are very concealable, but with way more capacity. I mean, that's always my thing, right, Jacob? Like, I'm always, like, debating between do I go with the Glock 19 or the Glock 43? And, yeah, I know there's a Glock 26 that's in between. But I've just never – I've always felt like I could – if I could if I could conceal a Glock 26, I can conceal a Glock 19. But this, I think, is even narrowing that gap even more. It's a lot closer to that Glock 43 size, but with the capacity of a Glock 26. And that is huge. That is a big win. And it might be really hard for me to carry something else <laughs> other than that. Let's go now to some more uh, news from a major manufacturer, and that is Winchester. And they ha- it has been announced that they have won the contract with the FBI as 
the FBI's primary ammunition uh, uh, provider. So uh, this is a, a pretty big deal. Uh, I'm guessing, by the way, it talks in this article quite a bit about uh, the 40 Smith and Wesson. And it does say that, that they are primarily the contract was that Winchester will be providing ammunition for the FBI's remaining 40 caliber firearms. You know, as you know, uh, or if you don't know, let me just explain real quick that the FBI of course has now they're moving now back to a nine millimeter handgun. They've got their 19 and uh, 17 M models they're, they're labeled as the M models and those are chambered in nine millimeter. Um, it wouldn't surprise me though to see a contract like this extended to where they're providing both nine millimeter and 40, or maybe they already are providing the nine millimeter. I don't know. I haven't seen anything on that, but um, pretty cool news, I guess for, for Winchester, that's a big win for them. Moving on now to, this is on W E S a dot F M a story from Pennsylvania where governor Wolf is declaring that, uh, they will, you know, that the state will not be uh, threatening to take away guns from medical marijuana users. Yeah, this is interesting because, you know, you have, it says about 10,000 Pennsylvanians who have registered so far to receive a medical marijuana card. Now, if you have a medical marijuana card, even in Pennsylvania, that does go into a database The that, you know, FFLs do check as part of their standard background check when they're selling a, a firearm. And so having a medical marijuana card does prevent you from being able to buy newly a firearm from a dealer. And that that's not something that Pennsylvania can do much about. But there is something that they can do something about, and they're on it. Yeah. This is interesting because it comes on the heels. I think we were just talking recently about uh, Hawaii. Yeah. Well, the Hawaii, that, that situation, but also it was just recently announced that uh, the Trump administration, particularly Attorney General uh, uh, Sessions, you know, came out and stated that they were, you know, they, they changed their policy a little bit from the Obama days on the, you know, basically what, what happened under Obama was the federal government said, we're going to stay out of state issues as it relates to legalizing marijuana. Basically, we're not going to we're going to choose not to really get involved and, and prosecute. But Attorney General Sessions has rolled that back and said that they they may, you know, start, uh, uh, you know, raising a stink, if you will, about marijuana use uh, as it relates to it's still considered unlawful to use marijuana for any reason under federal law. But of course, we're seeing more and more states that are legalizing marijuana for medicinal use and, of course, even also recreational use. I think the takeaway here is that uh, we we could see a little bit of a spat between state and federal governments where the feds are trying to crack down a little bit more on it, but states are saying we're not going to crack down on it. I think the other big takeaway is use marijuana at your own risk, especially if you want to keep your Second Amendment rights, because it is very clear, at least per current federal policy, that the use of possession, this is quoting from the statement that is on the ATF form 4473, the use or possession of marijuana remains unlawful under federal law, regardless of whether it has been legalized or decriminalized for medicinal or recreational purposes in the state where you reside. Use at your own risk. And frankly, I would advise that you don't, if you wish to not put at risk your second amendment rights. Yeah. This is something that's not settled yet. And so 
you know, if you if you want some real good advice from your attorney or from your uh, you know, podcast firearm instructors, uh, the advice is hold off. You know, it is it is not currently legally safe or advisable to you know consume any form of marijuana and also you know be in possession of or be a gun owner. So that that's 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 my two cents. Yep. Heading now over to guns.com, an article from Kristen Smith. It says, gun control groups protest AR-556 at Ruger headquarters. Gun control groups, it says, according to the article, marched in Connecticut last month to demand Sturm, Ruger, and company that they stop manufacturing their AR-556 rifle, which, of course, was made famous in the in the uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas, Texas church shooting. They say that the company is making, quote-unquote, massacre weapons. Also quoting from the uh, activist group, Sturm Ruger and all the other AR-15 manufacturers out there have blood on their hands for continuing to profit off of weapons that should have never left the battlefield. (laughs) Did anyone tell Natalie James here, the activist, that um, they were never on the battlefield? Yeah, that... (laughs) That AR-556 has never seen the light of day on a battlefield. I guarantee you that. Never. Yeah, that is that is not a military firearm. It would never, ever step onto a, battle, a battlefield. Um, it is a civilian firearm for civilians and, and would not meet military you know, demands and requirements. So clearly these people are painting the picture they want to paint. And and I, you know, I get it. I mean, it's it's hilarious that we walk around and protest the AR-556, you know, for for killing people in Texas. And neglect to mention that it was an AR-15 that stopped the bad guy with the AR-556 in Sutherland, Sutherland Springs, Texas. You know, it, it, that that to me is just the epitome of hypocrisy. Yeah. And, and that is that is the perfect irony here, is that a very similar weapon, albeit made by a different manufacturer, was used to stop the dude. It's crazy. I <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I, I know in their perfect little worldview that if nobody had those weapons to begin with, Sutherland Springs would have never happened. Right, Jacob? You know that, right? right sure, right. Yeah, no, he would have just said, I guess I can't go shoot all those people today. I don't have an AR-556. <laughs> I'll just use my pump shotgun. Right, or my thirty out 6 or my, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it is indeed. I think just last week, you and I, weren't we talking, maybe it was two weeks ago, talking about that story from uh, the UK where, you know, there's this huge increase in knife-related crimes. And uh, so, yeah, uh, go after the tool all you want. It will not stop Sutherland Springs from happening. And certainly, of course, they, they also say that I think Joe Biden, wasn't it Joe Biden that was on record as saying that the uh, the guy that stopped, uh, what was his name, Stephen uh, Will, oh, the guy that stopped the shooter there in Sutherland Springs. Um, I'm having a brain fart. I, I know it's, it's Williford or something. Yeah, Williford. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Stephen Williford. Uh, I think it was Joe Biden that said, you know, he he shouldn't have had that AR-15 to begin with. Uh, what But. Okay, so we should have just allowed uh, the shooter then to continue on until law enforcement could show up, I guess. that That's always the answer, right? Law enforcement will, will protect us. And I say that, by the way, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit because I am involved in law enforcement. And it's like, yes, I want to serve and protect, 
but we can't be everywhere and we can't get to these active shooter situations nearly fast enough. Well, of course we're preaching to the choir and we know that, uh, common sense, uh, just does not exist in some of these activists worlds, uh, where it comes to guns and gun control. Speaking of, uh, additional, I guess, well, not really so much gun control, but the opposite of it, right? So the expansion of gun rights, we turn now to a story from the Tribune or Tribtown, T-R-I-B-Town.com, uh, which reports that Indiana, the General Assembly for the 2018 session, will be considering legislation that will uh, move towards a constitutional carry model like other states have done. Yeah, and it's funny because in the exact same Per, uh, proposed legislation. He's also proposing medical cannabis, uh, marijuana. So I, I just find there's a little bit of irony that it just, you know we're expanding concealed carry rights and you know trying to establish medical marijuana at the same time. Uh, but I'll come back to that. So Indi- so Indiana is something that's noteworthy about Indiana is that currently Indiana has the highest instance of concealed carry permits per capita of any state in the country. A little over 14% of adults in Indiana have been issued a concealed handgun permit. That's remarkable. That's that's pretty amazing, over 14%, right? You go into a room of, of uh, you know, 20 adults and three of them have a permit. That's remarkable. And right now in Indiana, no training is required to obtain that permit. A person merely needs to go into the county sheriff's office, fill out paperwork, pay money, and pass a background check, and a permit is issued on the spot. So, you know, the idea of saying, well, you know, we're making people give us money and we're making people, you know, pass a background check. We want to just kind of make that unnecessary. You know, we want people to be able to just carry concealed without being permitted by the state, without being licensed by the state. Um, that's that's obviously not new. Longtime listeners know lots of states have that in place already, and we're seeing more of those come on, on board all the time. So we, you know, Riley and I, we're, we're of mind to support constitutional carry or permitless carry, if you prefer to call it that. And so, you know, props to Indiana for for taking it one step further. Um, but I, I think it's pretty pretty amazing, you know, what what in, what Indiana has accomplished up to this point. Yep, absolutely. Well, we'll keep an eye on that legislation as it moves forward. Um, certainly, I would be all for constitutional carry in Indiana. Uh, and you know, as we've seen success in other states have implemented it. I know the anti-gunners have <laughs> raised uh, all sorts of, you know, of a ruckus over constitutional carry and, and, you know, implying that it would turn our nation into the wild, wild west. Uh, but we usually see no such thing happen in all these other many states now. I mean, over a dozen that have constitutional carry now. So um, speaking of legislation, I know we had a podcast listener even ask us or in, write in and inquire about any legislative updates uh, from Ohio because there was a number of bills. And we talked about that in a recent podcast episode as well. And I just wanted to let you know I did check into that. And I'm not seeing any new action on any of those bills since we last talked about it. So. I think, you know, we had the holidays in there. The legislators usually take a, a break uh, from things. So that's probably what we're seeing here where, you know, basically things got to a certain point. They stepped away for a time to take vacation, to go home to their families, do whatever. And uh, so we, we will keep an eye, though, on Ohio and Indiana and others uh, to see when things start to move forward again. All right. So here's another story. And this is the one I have been really excited to get to uh, for a while, Jacob. Uh, because I saw this story and I just was like, no way. I mean, it just seemed too good to be true. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, so basically here's here's the premise. 
of the story. Uh, this is on NR, the NRAILA.org website. Okay, so that's the Nat- National Rifle Association Institute for Legislative Action. And they report, here's the title, You've Got Fail, Investigation into Online Gun Sales Backfires on Gun Controllers. So essentially, you had a an investigation that was led by the Government Accountability Office. The report that they put together is titled The Internet Firearm Sales, ATF Enforcement Efforts and Outcomes of GAO Covert Testing. And this was commissioned by anti-gun members of Congress, uh, including Representative Elijah Cummings, a Democrat from Maryland. Uh, He's the ranking member of the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. And he was also joined in this effort by Senators Brian Schatz of of Hawaii and Elizabeth Warren of uh, Massachusetts. And basically, it's it's quite clear and apparent, I think, that their hope was they would find all sorts of loopholes where people could buy guns online, you know, without going through background checks or whatever, meaning criminals and and others could get their hands on these guns um, through, through the Internet. And so the ATF, over a period of two and a half years, now get this, Jacob, over two and a half years, they made 72 attempts to buy illegally or to set up supposed illegal transactions. And they, they did this in a variety of ways. In some cases, they, they approached a, a seller that had something listed for sale on, on a website. And they were, you know, transparent from the beginning where they said, hey, man, like I can't pass a background check, but I'm just wondering if you'll still sell to me. And there were other attempts they made where they were a little bit more um, subtle about their approach. Okay, so they, they tried it a variety of different ways, but in 72 attempts... Guess how many of those attempts actually succeeded in buying a gun illegally? Yeah, you don't need to tell me. I'm reading zero. <laughs> it was zero. a 100 percent fail rate in attempting to make illegal online uh, gun buys. Yeah. Now let me let, let's clarify a little bit about what, what would make it illegal, right? So it's not it's not illegal for me to make arrangements with someone over the internet to purchase a firearm from them. Um, but the the key here would be an understanding that it, in, it's going to have to go down in one of two ways. Either A, if I'm in a different state, they're going to have to ship that to a dealer. And at that dealer, obviously, I'm going to have to pass a background check. So, you know, if they find out I can't pass a background check, what's the point? Or they're, gonna, or they're just going to say, hey, I'm sending it to a dealer. If you can't pass a background check, that's your problem kind of thing. Um, or if they're in the same state, then the, the, it might be to the point of, hey, can, can we meet up, you know, at the Walmart parking lot and you know, do the exchange? And there's nothing necessarily illegal about that, uh, assuming that the, the, the seller has every reason to believe that the buyer is not a prohibited person, a person who can't otherwise possess a gun. And so the, the nature of this is that, you know, the ATF agent it has to somehow communicate, as you said, either very overtly or subtly, that they are can't pass a background check or that they are a prohibited person. And that puts the ball in the court of the buyer for the buyer to either say, oh, I don't care, dude. Like, I'm just selling the gun, whatever, here you go. Or for the buyer to say, oh, well, then forget it. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're not getting one. Um, and, and that's the kind of takeaway here is that they were, they're trying to test the boundaries of what we are told by the gun grabbers is this online gun loophole that people can buy guns online without background checks. And while technically it is true you can buy guns online without a background check, the ATF has proven that if you communicate in any way that you cannot pass a background check, then people aren't going to sell you a gun. 
Uh, that's just not, you know, it, it, and I think they use the term here that the industry is basically self-policing. And yep. that, that is exactly what it turns out to be. It is self-policing. I mean, if it's, if it's, an, if it's an interstate you know, sale, if it's, you know, the gun has to be shipped to a different state, then the industry requires a background check regardless. But if it's a within-state sale, then the industry does have to self-police itself. And this study showed that it, it does, in fact, perfectly self-police itself. Yep. And that was a great quote from this uh, article from the NRA uh, where they say, yes, yes, that the GAO's findings showed nothing so much as that private sellers advertising online are knowledgeable about the law, conscientious, and self-policing. And going on, it says 56 of the 72 sellers, that's 78% of them, quote, outright refused to complete a transaction once our undercover agents revealed either that the shipping address was across state lines or that the agent was prohibited in some way from owning firearms, end quote. In five other cases, the forum on which the ad was posted froze the prospective buyer's accounts and blocked the transaction once information on the prohibited status was revealed. And then also the agents failed to complete the remaining 11 cases because they determined the sellers wanted to take their money without actually making delivery of the firearm. That was kind of a little bit surprising to me because, uh, you know, generally our firearm industry or our gun community is I, 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 you know, and I've done quite a bit of searching on online forums and online listings of guns. And I'm not convinced that there's all that many, at least in the legitimate areas that um, are fraudulent. So that's basically what these were. It was 11 cases out of the 72 that were fraudulent ad postings for, for guns. Um, it tells me that they were probably looking at some, you know, less desirable sites as well that, uh, where they may have come across, I think probably, you know, they would have had a higher probability of finding some of the, uh, uh, you know, those out there that are, that are perhaps trying to, you know, commit some sort of illegal or criminal act, but still they were unsuccessful in, in proceeding with these buys. I have an alternate theory. It may not necessarily be that there's some gun sellers out there that are corrupt and fraudulent just trying to take people's money. Here's another potential theory. Let's say that I'm the seller and the ATF contacts me and says, hey, I want to buy this gun. I say, no problem. I will deliver it to a dealer and you can pick it up there and you know, and do your thing. And they say, well, I'm, you know, I don't know if I can back background check. I might say, that's not my problem, dude. Like, give me the money. And if you can't, you know, if, the de- if you don't pass the background check, you won't get it, you know? Like that would be another interesting thing where, you know, would I have fallen into this category that the ATF is referring to uh, where, you know, I basically was willing to take your money, but you were never going to get the gun? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it, yeah. it's entirely possible there's just some fraudulent people out there. But what study proved is that there may or may not be some uh, people out there who, you know, trying to take your money and not give you a gun. But there certainly are, is no one out there willing to sell you a gun if they know you're a prohibited person. Yeah. Well, I think what's probably pretty apparent from this, and by the way, they also made some attempts on the dark web, uh, which all kinds of illicit and illegal activity occurs on the dark web. Um, of course, the dark web, web requires special knowledge, uh, software, uh, computer know-how to even access and do so safely, uh, if you can say it that or call it that. Um but there's all kinds of, you know, like I said, illicit things that occur on the dark web and your average citizen is not on there. Your average citizen is not trying to sell guns on there. And I think what's apparent is that law abiding gun owners are quite discerning. And like, as you said, self policing where it comes to how and to whom they choose to sell their guns. And that's, that's a very positive thing. What we see essentially is that 
the law works where it comes to law-abiding citizens because that's what they that's the nature of being a law-abiding citizen. But when you have people that are already interested in or willing to break the law, they will find some means or method whereby they can do so, whether that's the dark web or whether that's by having some sort of contact tree through all their various gang members and drug dealers to, you know, that one guy that everybody knows you can buy a gun. Right. And that's, that's no different than uh, setting up some sort of, uh, you know, hidden private uh, secretive or dark web group or page uh, where you can facilitate these sorts of buys. But the average person, the average criminal even um, are not, are likely not accessing a lot of those avenues. So the point is the system as it currently stands works, there is no major loophole with which we need to be concerned about uh, as far as passing additional legislation to um, have more gun control as it relates to online sales or anything of that sort. Yep. Okay. So there you go. Fascinating stuff. And and I'd, I'd love to have been in the room when the GAO revealed their study to the sponsors of that. You know, yeah, <laughs> Diane Feinstein, it wasn't Diane it was Elizabeth Warren. I, lo- I would have loved to have seen her face. What? Out of 72 attempts, you couldn't get even one? Because <laughs> the narrative is completely destroyed. Oh, on to our justified segment. First story, justified story is from OregonLive.com, where a U-Haul employee shoots would-be robber, police say. This happened on January uh not the 4th, excuse me, January 3rd, about 7 p.m. Uh, as the U-Haul office uh, there in, uh, what was the town? I missed it here. Oh, I don't know. It's in, it's in Oregon. Yeah, it's in Oregon. It's in, Oregon. <laughs> Port, it's in Portland. There we go. There, uh, I lost it, and then I, then I found it again. Portland, Oregon. There's a little U-Haul store, and they were getting ready to close for the night. Uh, at that point, a man came in attempting to rob the store at gunpoint, but a male employee of the store uh, drew his weapon and exchanged uh, fire with that uh, attempted robber. And uh, police, it says, retrieved two firearms from the site. One was the alleged robbers and one was the employees, they believe. The injured man was transported. So the robber was he was transported to a nearby hospital, but was dead when he arrived. The employee is not in custody and he and two other witnesses are cooperating with police. So there you go. Another great example of how homes and businesses and more importantly, people within those uh, are protected um, in situations where armed robbers would have, you know, it might've gone a different way. Yep. Not bueno. Yep. The next story. Why don't you take this one, Jacob armed robbery suspect shot by victim during Craigslist deal gone bad. Okay. Now this is an interesting one because at first glance you might read this and you might say, wait a minute, this, I don't know if this is a good, like, did they do the right thing? But if you go through this, um, the narrative changes a little bit and you get some clarity. So I'm going to kind of skip to the end and, and, and define this. So first and foremost, know that the, the transaction here is of cell phone. So we got someone who wants to buy a cell phone, someone who wants to sell a cell phone. Now the uh, person who wants to do the, um, buying is a security guard, an armed security guard at that. And he, he wants to you know, buy, buy a cell phone. So he goes to meet with the sellers. And the sellers 
they are not so inclined to actually provide a phone. They would really just like the cash. They just want to rob some people. And it didn't, I was trying to see, did it say where they met? Oh, Walmart parking lot. Shocker. It's always a Walmart parking lot, man. Okay. So uh, here we go. So the, they, they get together and the bad guys, they produce a firearm to rob the victim. So I, I imagine something like this. They show up. It's like, all right, dude, like, can I see the phone? And the bad guys are like, hey, there's no phone here. Like, here's my gun and I want your money. Just give me the cash. And the victim in this case, the security guard, he jumps out of his vehicle and shoots back, hitting the bad guy. Uh, and I think the bad guy was not alone, but he, he hit Holmes, who, who's kind of the main bad dude here. And it turns out um, that, that uh, you know, Holmes, Holmes went down for that. And he and his cousin, um, whose name is Smith, apparently, were arrested. And our security guard, good guy victim, was not charged with anything. Um, so that that's all. It all ended well, and I thought it was interesting because we had you know a situation where, and we, we're going to release our car course here soon, Riley. But our victim, he was in a car, but when he saw that they had had produced a, a firearm, he exited, he bailed out of his own vehicle, right, and then he shot back. He must have been listening to that podcast episode we did right after we uh, filmed the uh, vehicle. Uh, yeah, he, he must have, right? Yeah, he clearly is one of our subscribers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I found that that little detail very interesting in this story uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you know, we we do talk about you know th- there are some priorities that you want to consider if you are ever involved in a deadly force encounter when you're inside a vehicle, and vehicles are a really bad bad place to try to fight from. So if you have the the option or the ability to first of all, you want to consider trying to get away with the vehicle, right? But he may have very well. I mean, where, where that might not be possible, at least immediately, uh, is you you showed up and you shut the vehicle off. Well, by the time you could probably get the key back in and 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 turn the vehicle on and put it in gear, that dude's shooting at you, right? So that that's a no go. And so if you can't get the vehicle started, and then it, then your next priority would be to consider using the vehicle as a weapon. Well, that's a no-go because you, you don't even have a running vehicle. Uh, you can't get into gear fast enough or whatever it is. All right. So then your third consideration is you want to consider getting out of the vehicle uh, depending on the situation. There's, there's definitely going to be some times where maybe that vehicle does afford you the best cover. But in this case, I don't know if this was his thought process at all, but you might be thinking, okay, I'm trapped in this vehicle. It's a bullet magnet. I'm not well protected. I need to get to where I have better cover. Um, I don't know, like I said, if that's what he was doing or what he was trying to do, or if he just simply reacted for whatever reason. But that's what happened here is he got out of the vehicle and he fought. Uh, He fought his way to, I guess, safety, I guess. Uh, But the other thing I thought was interesting, Jacob, was the way this was written. It almost makes it sound like you know, there was reports that of a man in the Walmart parking lot shooting into a vehicle. And, and just kind of the way it was written and the way it sounded, if you read the news article, it almost sounds like he jumped out of the vehicle and went it, almost as, as though he was going closer to the to to his to his threat. Um it's written weird. Yeah. Right. And and if that's the case, like that's something you, you'd want to be uh concerned about because um potentially, I mean like Ideally, someone that is using a reasonable level of of justified force, you wouldn't necessarily be trying to put yourself in greater you know danger or greater threat by you know moving closer to that threat as you're shooting at them. I mean that it, not to say that that can't happen for various reasons, but just the way it was worded and the way it came across, 
I had that little thought in my back of my mind. I'm like, you know, that could almost be taken uh, and used against you in a way that, it, you know, there was something not reasonable about how you did this because, yeah. you know, you but didn't. It could re- be that the reports were just wrong. Right, right, right. So anyway, that's just one kind of, I guess, important key there that I would throw out there and uh, make sure that, you know, anytime we're using deadly force in particular, it's got to be reasonable. You've got to, uh, you know, you've got to appear to be innocent. I mean, you do need to be innocent, but you got to at least appear to be innocent. And by some, some of these actions, it might make it look as though you're, you're not necessarily innocent or that you're not doing what a reasonable person would do. And those are really important things to keep in mind and consider. Yep. Yep. So pretty interesting story though. And, uh, well, Watch out for those Craigslist deals. <laughs> That'd yeah, be good advice for myself. <laughs> That's a recurring theme on the podcast, I think. <laughs> Next story, NBC15.com reports. This was from, oh, by the way, that last story was from the Atlanta, Georgia area, in case folks were wondering. I don't think we mentioned it. This next story is from the Orlando, Florida area, where police say a 70-year-old man fatally shot an intruder during a home invasion. Now, this is a very brief, simple story. Probably won't spend a lot of time on it. Um, it just says here that the uh, Orange County Sheriff's spokesman, Jeff Williamson, said in a news release that Juan Jose Caraballo, <laughs> did I say that right, Jacob? <laughs> uh, heard uh, some. No. <laughs> but that's I don't know. Okay. Isn't two L's like a ya yeah sound? <laughs> that's like a Y. Yeah. Carabao. I don't know. He, he heard someone trying to break into his house about 5 p.m. Wednesday. He grabbed his gun and shot at the intruders. Williamson said one was hit and killed. The other ran out the back door of the home near Orlando. Both uh, Carabao's, I guess, or Carabao's <laughs> uh, wife and a delivery driver who was in the neighborhood both called 911. Now, I would have almost stopped at that point of the story and kind of discounted it and like, you know what, this there's so many of these types of stories and there's just not a lot of details here that it's not really noteworthy enough to share on the podcast because we just aren't able to share all the stories. But I did decide to leave this one in, in the show outline today because the next sentence there says that this homeowner, this 70-year-old man whose home was broken into, it says that he was also struck by a bullet and underwent surgery. Yep. And, and so I, I, that was noteworthy for me enough to, it's just that little bit of a reminder that keep in mind, just because you carry a gun, just because you have a permit does not mean it is a magic talisman that's going to keep you safe and protected from danger. Does not mean you're going to automatically be insured and guaranteed a win in a gunfight. Uh, the reality is that even if you do succeed in that gunfight, you may still very well sustain injuries. Be mindful of that. There's a, there's a lot of factors here. I mean, another interesting detail, and we see this a lot in these kinds of stories, that says he grabbed his gun and shot at the intruders, which to me implies that he had to go and retrieve it and didn't have it on him. But time is everything. Because if, if time is on your side, right, the more time you you have before you have to confront the BG, the bad guy or bad gal, the more time you have before you have to confront the BG, the more you can make sure the odds are in your favor. You can seek out appropriate cover and or concealment. Uh, you can you know, mentally rehearse what might be about to happen. You can check the status of your firearm. You can you know, seek out lighting you know, optimization things. So a lot of things you can do if time affords it. But if you don't have the time, 
right? Then then bolts just start flying, flying, and you have to do you know the best you can to improvise. And anything you can do to maximize that time, things like having the gun on you, and not having to retrieve it, it's going to go a long way. So I don't know all the re- what happened. I don't know how he was struck by bullet. I don't know if it was a ricochet, if it was out of his own gun, or if the home intruders had had their own guns they were shooting back. We don't necessarily know. Uh, but you know, consider that you want to maximize your odds. You know, I was thinking. Remember the uh, episode we did recently where we talked about the Las Vegas Walmart shooters. We talked about that good Samaritan who's running through the store after those guys, and he got shot because he did not do it cautiously. He he was just a little too hungry uh, to chase down the bad guys and get them get them killed. You know, and and that ended up being bad. So so remember that all things that we got to do in the moment. If we can take a time to breathe and think, we're going to really maximize our potential of a positive outcome. And when we don't have time to do those things, sometimes we don't have cover. Sometimes we, you know, things just do not end as well as they could otherwise. Yep. Well, and uh, kudos to you, Jacob, for bringing the Hunger Games into the Concealed Carry podcast because <laughs> that's where my, my mind went as soon as you said odds in your favor. Isn't that oh. like the quote? May the yeah, odds the ever, odds or may the odds be ever in your favor. Yeah, That's what, it. What a horrible trilogy. Book one and book two are so good. <laughs> book three just sucked. <laughs> so. Yeah, we definitely want to do everything we can to maximize. Uh, you know, make the odds the best they can be. And I don't know if odds is even the right word necessarily, but but you know what I mean. Um, you're right in that it does say. I mean, he had to grab his gun and. It does. We see that oftentimes, especially with home invasions. Now, I get it when it's you know two, three, four in the morning, and you know I've got my gun secured in a quick access safe, uh, you know, within very near reach of of where I sleep, uh, so that I can quickly retrieve that. Um, but uh, you know, this was not. This was five p.m. on Wednesday. So, I mean, uh, do you wear your gun at home? Yes, I wear my gun at home. I hope you do too. It's on me right now. I'm home. Yep. So here we go. Final story from the Times Free Press, timesfreepress.com. On January 2nd is reported that there are no charges filed in a shooting that left one dead in Marion County, Tennessee. Um, And this was actually referring to a shooting, a fatal shooting that occurred on New Year's Day evening. So the previous night. Um. In Marion County, Tennessee, it says basically had, it sounds like you had two neighbors, two men uh, that for a long time had some bad blood between them. It even says that uses that term. The sheriff said there had been some quote unquote bad blood between these two men. Uh, One of these men uh, was uh, identified as Johnny Watts. And then the other one is Brandon Shrum. And the Shrum is the one that was shot and killed by the homeowner, Johnny Watts. And the, basically, it sounds like there had been some bad blood. Shrum went to Watts, Johnny Watts's home around 10 p.m. on New Year's Day you know, night, New Year's night, and was beating on the walls of his home with a shovel and making threats. At some point, they have a confrontation, and Mr. Watts said Mr. Shrum had a shovel, and at one point he felt threatened, and he used deadly force to protect himself. The weapon used was a 9mm pistol. Uh, Shrum did pass away as a result of his injuries. Um, There is not anticipated at this time. There's been no charges filed against Mr. Watts. He's been cooperative, it says, and gave interviews. I certainly hope, by the way, he did that with uh, the advice of an attorney. 
Um, and after consulting with the district attorney's office, it says uh, they will present this situation to the grand jury and let them decide if there should be charges. Now, why might it not be so cut and dry? What do you think, Jacob? Well, there's a lot of issues here. I mean, one would be there's no witnesses. I mean, it talks about how it's a little bit of a secluded area. It's not like, you know, there's 20 homes all crammed next to each other, like my neighborhood. Um, there's a little distance, probably not a lot of witnesses. And so when, when cops show up and the evidence shows what? We got a dead guy and, you know, he's he's near a shovel. And we got the other guy who's alive and he's got a gun. Um, that That's a little... You know, that just leaves a lot open, you know, and, and I think that that's what sometimes we've, we neglect to think about as gun owners because we, we assume that we'll be there and we'll know what happens. And because we know inherently, we just kind of assume that everyone else will know. The cop will know, the DA will know, my judge will know, my jury will know, the attorneys will know, the prosecutor will know. But it's all about the evidence. It's all about what can be proven, right? It's about, about the evidence that can be presented. And that, that this, this doesn't leave a lot of evidence. Another interesting thing here it says, and this maybe is what you actually wanted me to say, is that the sheriff uh, says that the authorities have investigated prior incidents involving these two men, but nothing had ever become violent. So this is probably not the first time, clearly not the first time, that, that cops have been called to deal with you know the, the, the feud between these two men, between these two neighbors. But in the past, it was nothing more than, you know, than, than you know, a, a feud. It was nothing, there was nothing violent. Uh, so for this time, for there to be something you know, violent, to, to suppose that, that there was enough of a threat for this man to feel justified enough to pull his gun and fire, uh, you know, doesn't fit the, the pattern that the police have, you know, as far as, as far as their records are concerned. Yeah. Yeah. See, all these details are relevant. And I'm glad you pointed that out, by the way, because I mean, imagine that maybe the backstory is that uh, Watts, who shot Shrum, maybe Shrum is mad at Watts because he thinks Watts, you know, sexually assaulted his daughter or something, you know? And so him, I mean, is what, is what Shrum was doing, you know, banging on the dude's house with a shovel? Is that proper and appropriate? Uh, no, probably not, but it's kind of, you know, it might be understandable. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is, I mean, just all these little details and I, I know I'm really reading into that there, but all the details really do matter and can make a difference in a case. Um, and so all of that will come into play. And that's why I think that they're going to bring all this before a grand jury uh, to determine if there might be any charges uh, pursued, uh, you know, after uh, uh, Watts, who's the man that shot uh, the other man. And, you know, the other thing that, like I said, well, I don't know if I said, but but what stood out to me in this case, and this was the big one for me, is that it seems apparent to me that Watts is inside the home when Shrum shows up and starts beating on his house with a shovel. At some point, Watts exited the home. Yep. Right? And that that definitely raises this, this idea of, I mean, he, he certainly exposed himself, you know, uh, you know, f- as far as liability is concerned in this case, because he could have stayed secured. I mean, you're in the home, you're secured in the home, stay secured in the home, call the proper authorities, wait. Now, if that guy starts busting through the window or through the door and coming in, then that's, that's, that's a different situation. But the moment you go out that door, you're opening yourself to this possibility, even if in the end you are still justified it just starts to paint this picture that maybe is not entirely clear, especially with no witnesses involved as to what might or might not have happened. And so thus they have an investigation 
and thus it will go before a grand jury. Now, I know we featured this story in our Justified segment. As far as we can tell from the story, it appears to be a a justified use of deadly force. Uh, We may very well learn later something otherwise than that, but there's still some really great learning uh, lessons to be learned from this from the from this uh from this instance as we just shared so yeah, any final well, thoughts well, well put I, I think i think the key takeaway when you read these kinds of things is not hey hey another 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 guy bites the dust or hey yeah another guy defend himself with a gun i mean the key takeaway from these stories is for us to all read them and try and extrapolate lessons whether whether we're right or wrong about the things we may be supposing is not really relevant because we're not on the jury and we're not the prosecutor we're, you know we're not the da uh, what matters is that we try and learn uh, from these things and so you know I'll, I'll tell you another one that we didn't mention that that it was another little detail when the first our first justified story was that U-Haul one, and another little detail in that one is it said that the it said that the cops took two guns from the scene, uh, one which was the criminal and one that was the good guy, and you know how often do we think about that that hey if you're ever involved in some sort of you know issue your gun's going in for evidence you know you're not going to see it for a while if at all. And so you better have a second gun ready or else you're going to be gunless for a while. So there's all these little things that, you know, you can, you read these stories and you can say, oh my gosh, yeah, that's, that's not anything to think about. Or man, what if, what if this had happened? What if, what if there's a detail here missing that is X, Y, Z? Oh my gosh. Like how would that change things? And all those little things help us grow and be better if we think about it. Absolutely. Well, great summary and great wrap up there. Cause that does bring us to the end of our news stories for today's episode. As was mentioned earlier on, that today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com. Please uh, check that out. But more specifically, uh, take a look at live fire drill cards. Now, Jacob, you're intimately familiar with live fire drill drill cards. You're a big fan. I am. I am as well. But why don't you speak just a moment about live fire drill cards, what they are and what they do for a shooter? Yeah, the, the premise here is, and, and at least this is how I think of their product. I don't know if this is what Steve Burnett would say. He's he's the, the genius behind it. But I think the idea is that when you go to do some practicing, you don't want to waste your time or ammo. You know, if, if you go to the range regularly, and I suspect many of our listeners do, and you just put some targets through some paper or some holes through some, some paper and you go home, yeah, that's great. But, you know, are you really getting the most out of your time and energy that, that you could? Uh, and your ammo, which is expensive. Your time is expensive. Your ammo is expensive. And so the Live Fire Drill Card System, if I can use that word, essentially it's a notebook with a bunch of different cards in it. And it has, I'll, I'll say, basically two core components. One is just the general idea that you keep track of your training, which I think is immensely valuable. I think it's very difficult to improve something if you don't measure it. So having a good sense for what did I do today, uh, it, you know, and, and, and what, it, you know, what were my times or what, how, how did I do this or that, now, I think has a tremendous impact on your ability to grow as a shooter. It also potentially has some legal um, benefits, but that's, that'd be another conversation. The second half of the Life Fire drill card system is these the actual drill cards, and that's part of the, the notebook you buy. And these drill cards, you know, there's there's a card for any given drill. Let's say it's the FBI qualification drill or the triple nickel or the bill drill or whatever. And on that card, it has a, a place, very specific place for you to mark down your points or score or time or whatever it might be, uh, you know, over time so that you can see how you're going up and down. It also has very clear instructions on how to set up the drill, how to run the drill. It's a really nice, well-engineered, if I can use that that word, uh, drill card. Um, it's really easy to follow. It's really nice. It talks about what skills you're going to be working on if you run that drill. And I, I think it's a really phenomenal way to get a lot out of your time at the range. Awesome. Oh, great summary on that product. Do check out Live Fire Drill Cards. I think we have a short link, jacobconcealedcarry.com forward slash LFDC for 
for live fire drill cards. So concealedcarry.com forward slash LFDC. Go check it out. And then our other sponsor today is Pig Lube. Now, in full disclosure, by the way, I am a sponsored shooter sponsored by Pig Lube. As a competitive shooter, I have used Pig Lube in all of my guns, my AR-15s, my shotguns, my pistols. As a three-gunner, I have found Pig Lube to be an incredible lubricant. It has kept all of my guns running reliably, smoothly, in all kinds of temperatures. I've competed in cold temps and hot temps. It performs wonderfully well as a lubricant. And if you're into bacon, now I'm not into bacon like some people are really into bacon, but I do love bacon. And in my comp guns, I, I actually use the uh, the bacon scented, the bacon grease scented uh, variety of pig lube. That's kind of one of the inspirations behind, you know, the pig lube brand, the the, the name even. Uh, and it, it's a lot of fun to, to use a lubricant that if you hold up the gun after it's been cleaned, you put a little pig lube on there and take a little whiff and mm, makes you hungry. <laughs> on my hunting guns, on my hunting rifle, I use the unscented variety so as not to, you know, any hunters, you, you well know. Uh, why that would be the case. I don't want to have anything that might cause uh, an animal that I'm trying to, you know, stalk or go after to uh, uh, be able to detect that I'm that I'm somewhere in the area. So they have the unscented varieties and the scented variety. All great stuff. The pig lube cleaner is also great. Uh, so go check out pig lube at concealedcarry.com forward slash pig lube. And you can buy it there on our store today, uh, competitively priced and top-notch, top-quality lubricant. So check it out. Appreciate your support of our sponsors. So with that, we're going to wrap it up for today. Just a reminder that we will be in Las Vegas attending SHOT Show here in, in, in basically two weeks. Um, the events really get started a little bit before that on Sunday of that of SHOT Show. We call it Shot Week. Uh, there is a, a premier media day event at uh, with Sig Sauer. We'll get to check out the new P365 and anything else new and awesome from Sig Sauer at that event. The next day will be an industry at the range where that's the opportunity to connect with and see all the other new guns from vendors, uh, including the, I imagine Glock will be there with the 19X and others. So we'll check that out. We'll definitely give you our feedback on on all these things as we discover them. But we'll be doing some on-site podcasting from SHOT Show throughout the week. It officially starts on Tuesday and runs through Friday. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be announcing some booth numbers and times and vendors because we have several vendors lined up where we will be uh, recording from their booths uh, episodes for the podcast and interviews so that'll be fun. And if any of you listening to the podcast are able to or are planning on attending SHOT Show, it is open only for industry you know, industry uh, people, uh, not even including instructors. Okay, But if you're able to be at SHOT Show, feel free to we'll, – we'll give you those booth numbers and times when we'll be recording the podcast and you are more than welcome to swing by and say hello. Uh, just an example, some of the vendors we'll be recording from will be Safari Land, XS Sites, and a few others. We're still confirming a few details. So we look forward to seeing you there if you're able to stop by and say hello. And so, Jacob, time to say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Till next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. 
A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.